Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode 9 of the podcast. We have a ton to talk about, including our reaction to the NFL's top 100 list and the five 49ers that made the list, how the pandemic could affect the 49ers Super Bowl window, and an update on the George Kittle contract. Is it done? Is it not? Joining us today to talk about all of that stuff, he covers the 49ers for Niners Nation, Kyle Posey, welcome to 49ers Access. Let's just jump right in to the topics we have at hand. The NFL Top 100 came out this week. The Niners had four players make the Top 100, George Kittle, Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman, Garoppolo, and Fred Warner. But first, I want to talk about one player that missed a list at 104, and that's Eric Armstead. Personally, I think Eric Armstead had an underrated season because I know he plays on this stacked defense. When I look at guys like Grady Jarrett, who was ranked number 91, Armstead had more sacks than him. Fletcher Cox, 73rd ranked. Armstead had six and a half more sacks and six more tackles. And then Jarrell Casey, who I understand stats on everything, but Kittle had a better PFF score than two of the three guys I just listed. He had five more sacks than Jarrell Casey and forced more turnovers. I believe Armstead should have at least been inside the top 90, especially after looking at the guy I just talked about. Uh, Would you agree that Eric Armstead was somehow overlooked inside the NFL's top 100 list? Yeah, I was. And I think a large part of that is just based on how he finished the season. Because if you just go based off of the first half of the season, Armstead was one of if like he was in the running for defensive player of the year. That's how dominant he was to start the season. And I think he just kind of wore down as the season went on, just with all this, um, just with, you know, all the snaps that he played because of the injuries that the 49ers faced. After the Green Bay game in week 12, he never had, he didn't have a sack for the rest of the season. And that's what, you know, that's what NFL players are going to look for. So I do think that he was overlooked because even if you talk about the second half of the season, you mentioned his PFF grade. So he, he, yeah, he was one of, like, PFF loved him. Uh, Armstead was near the top in a lot of their stats, just as far as pressure stats go. So I think, I think he's kind of undersold because he can also play both inside and outside. He was just really, really dominant. So, um, yeah, he, he's, he's probably going to be there next year, that's for sure. Do you think that, and let's go on to the 70th rank, I guess technically the highest but also lowest ranked 49er, depending on how you look at it, Fred Warner. He was the fourth ranked linebacker when you separate I guess guys who play on the inside and pass coverage compared to pass rushers like uh, TJ Watt and and other guys like that but I believe Fred Warner is arguably a top six linebacker in the NFL obviously his peers see him a little higher than that and I am 1000% okay with that but I think Warner is overlooked entirely uh, and just like Jimmy Garoppolo is but getting into Warner uh, do you think that Fred Warner is a top five linebacker. And do you think he's a top 70 player in the NFL? A hundred percent. I think that Warner is unquestionably the best coverage linebacker in the NFL. I think that he showed that last year. There are so many stats that back it up too. But if you just watch him, then not just the plays that he's targeted on, because those are the highlight plays. And that's what people remember. People are going to remember his interception against Jared Goff. People remember him, you know, running with Hollywood Brown, which is an amazing play when he broke up that pass. But 
when it's the plays that Warner isn't targeted on, where he just takes away throws before the offense can even make the play. That's where Warner's greatness really stands out. But he was fourth in the NFL in success rate amongst linebackers when targeted. He had the ninth, the ninth most pass defenses. Uh, he had three sacks. Uh, he led the, led the league among all linebackers and forced fumbles. He was just a dominant player. So him being 70 is a great look. And there is no doubt in my mind that he was one of, if not the best linebacker in the league. I think a a very obvious thing to look at with this Niners team and something that I think they carry on very well is that we're okay with being underrated. Keep keep overlooking us and we're going to keep proving you wrong. That goes with Armstead and even guys who aren't even there any longer, DeForest Buckner, Kwan Williams, uh, even, you know, and then getting to Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, Jimmy Garoppolo was the 43rd ranked player in the NFL. Uh, that kind of surprised me despite all the hate he gets. I was really surprised 43 was as high as he got. He was the 8th ranked quarterback ahead of guys like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins who he's compared to often and Carson Wentz who wasn't even listed and I think a lot of people would place those three guys usually ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not one of them. I think Prescott and Wentz are kind of on the same level. Maybe Wentz is a little better if he wasn't so injury prone but I have Jimmy Garoppolo as around my 10th, maybe 11th best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, like I said, we know how divisive he can be amongst NFL fans. We've all heard the, he was paid too soon, he's a system quarterback, he got carried by his rushing game in, in the defense, but if his peers see him as a top eight quarterback, is there something we're overlooking in how great Jimmy Garoppolo is? And if so, why do you think that? So I, I actually think that most of this quote unquote hate from Garoppolo is is come is manufactured by 49ers fans. Uh, the rest of the NFL and just a lot of other fans really don't talk about him as much as 49ers fans do. So I don't think he's overrated. I was very surprised that he was ranked number 43. I did not think that his peers would view him that high, but it goes to show you that they really value winning. And they also value one of Garoppolo, which in my opinion is one of his best traits and something that even 49ers fans don't give him credit for, don't really bring up is uh, his ability to stay in the pocket. Uh, he just does not fear being hit. And he's going to hang in there till the very last minute. And it helps that he has a quick release and it helps that he doesn't need to step into his throws. But Garoppolo, for a lack of a better term, just like he has... I mean, I don't want to, I don't know how loose I can be on this podcast, but he just has nuts <laughs> is what you want to say. Like he has gonads, he can hang in there and he's not worried about it. So I think they appreciate that. He never flinches and he never wavers because when, the, when he, he has made, you know, he's made bad throws, but he comes out and he does like his numbers after an interception are so good. And I think players notice that. So uh, to be 43, that was surprising. But Garoppolo, he, he had a much better season than I think people outside of 49ers organization realize. But he's not being, you know, crapped on like 49ers fans feel like. So 43 is great for him. And I, I, I don't know, you know, how much higher he can get just with if he's going to continue to play like that, like he did in 2019. But yeah, that's just, I mean, it's great for him. Well, let's talk about the expectations for him next year. He was top five in yards per attempt at 8.4. TD passes at 27, and his comp percentage was top five as well at 69.1. As well as being the top blitz quarterback in the in the NFL, his uh, Richard Sherman the was the uh, the 28th ranked player in the NFL this year in the number two corner. He said he expects Jimmy G to make the Pro Bowl in 2020. Uh, is there any reason to doubt that Jimmy Garoppolo can have a better 2020 season 
than he did in 2019, a year removed from, I guess technically two years removed from the ACL injury? And if so, what are your expectations for him in 2020? I would expect him to be better just because, as you mentioned, he's a year removed from that injury. So he's no longer going to have to worry about planning and no longer going to have to worry about, you know, having a brace on. I think another thing that Garoppolo is very good at that a lot of people don't give him credit for is his mobility. Like he, he can move really well. So I think he'll be able to escape from the pocket and he, he won't have to, you know, just kind of hang in there like he did this this past year. He has to stop making those, you know, boneheaded underneath throws where he throws it right to a linebacker. Those happened far too often. And he also has to improve against pressure. He was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year when he was pressured. And that's why teams blitzed him. So if he just clean, clean some of those things up, you know, as a first year starter. Yeah, there's no doubt he'll be like in the top eight of quarterbacks last year, next year. When I think of Jimmy Garoppolo, I see the rest of the quarterback in group, and that being Tom Brady's older, probably going to retire in a couple of years. Drew Brees may be on his last, last legs. Who knows how longer Aaron Rodgers is going to play? And if that, how long is he going to play at the level he has been for the last decade? But do you think it's feasibly possible that Jimmy Garoppolo possibly pushes past the number eight quarterback threshold and maybe gets inside the top five with some of these guys retiring in the near future? I don't think there's any question. Like, if we're just removing the names on the back of the jersey and evaluating the quarterbacks, Jimmy G outperformed Rodgers and Brady last year. And that's going to rub some people the wrong way because they hear the name Tom Brady and they hear the name Aaron Rodgers. But he was better than them across the board in essentially every advanced statistic. So I think Garoppolo should be shooting for, you know, higher than that. Not obviously these are legends that you just mentioned, but some of the new school quarterbacks that have kind of taken the past the torch and taken the torch from those hall of fame quarterbacks. So if, if he's going to, if Garoppolo is going to do that, he's going to have to just find a way to be more consistent. He's going to have to, you know, as I mentioned, not do those, you know, once a game throws where you're just scratching your head, like, what is this guy doing? That's that's pretty much what's holding him back right now is consistency. The one play I think of is kind of that bonehead interception he threw in the Super Bowl, which didn't really lead to anything for Kansas City, but we do know how that game ended. And, you know, speaking of the game against Kansas City, uh, one player that didn't play necessarily as well, but was voted the 28th best player, the number two cornerback in the NFL, and the third ranked DB behind Jamal Adams, that is Richard Sherman. He was the highest graded cornerback uh, by PFF in uh, passing coverage, that being 90.1. I think 28 is the perfect place for him. I think he's a top two, top three cornerback in the NFL. He's a veteran guy who knows how to make the adjustments necessary. Didn't play great uh, against Kansas City, but at 28, do you think that's the, the right spot for Sherman? And do you think he can continue to carry, uh, I guess, the consistency he's had uh, since coming over to San Francisco post the Achilles injury and that he had in Seattle. And do you think that there's a possibility that teams see what Kansas City did and can not necessarily out his weaknesses, but can maybe target him a little more with a quick receiver like Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Devontae Adams? I think that Sherman is so... This is going to be his. La uh, this is entering the last year of his contract, so a lot of questions remain. You know what's going to happen because next year he's going to be 33, and will the 49ers invest in a cornerback that is 33 years old? Father time catches up to everyone. There's no escaping him. The good news is Sherman has never really relied on athleticism, and for starters, I do want to say that he's a much better athlete than he's given credit for. 
But as we've seen, it's the long speed. And that was, and as you mentioned, the Super Bowl. So that, that play against Sammy Watkins was a great example. So like he, we've seen that he just is not going to be able to run with these speed, speedy receivers. So he relies on technique. And when you rely on technique and you rely on your fundamentals, it is going to allow you to play longer. And that's why I believe this will not be Sherman's last year. Will it be his last year with the 49ers? That is an entirely different question. But 28 is a great number for him. I, I think I disagree with you on him being, you know, one of the top one or two cornerbacks. I, he's probably closer to like five or six, which is not like a slight by any means because he was really good last year, like really, really good. When they threw the ball to Sherman, he, had, he allowed the seventh fewest yards among any cornerbacks and adjusted yards per pass, which that's what you want to see. Like, it's one thing to allow completions, but it's another thing to just not give up much. And, and that's what Sherman did. So he's, he was consistently shutting the opponent's receiver down or just that, that side of the field down. So I think that'll continue this year, especially just with how the makeup of the defense is with a pass rush and the speed on defense. And one thing that I really don't think Sherman gets enough credit for where he helped the 49ers last year was his run defense. He was very aggressive, and I think that kind of sets the tone, and everyone else feeds off that as well. With the Niners not trading for Jamal Adams, we know the big haul that the Seahawks gave up pretty much traded two years of their uh, their future for him. Uh, and Jaquiski Tart in the final year of his deal, Richard Sherman in the final year of his deal, uh, is there a chance that San Francisco wants to move Jimmy Ward over, depending on how well Tart uh, plays this season and, may- and maybe how well his body holds up? We know the injury history he has had. Uh, is there a chance the Niners possibly think of moving Sherman to free safety in a Charles Woodson-esque move, or do you think Sherman is kind of locked in at the cornerback position, uh, possibly even past this season, wh- whoever he ends up? I've seen that thrown out quite a bit, and I just don't see him as the safety type. Because, yes, you have to be smart to play safety, which you're not going to find somebody that's just more football savvy than Richard Sherman. But you also have to be able to run, especially with the 49ers. Like, you have to have some makeup speed. And uh, Jimmy Ward is as good as it gets when we're talking about range and being able to go from hash to hash. And that, that's just not really Sherman's game is not, you know, just being able to fill the run coming downhill or turning and running on deep passes. Doesn't really, he doesn't really strike me as – a free safety type. So I think he's just going to play cornerback on the perimeter until his time runs out. Let's move on to probably one of the youngest Niner stars we've seen in a long time, and that's Nick Bosa. I I don't think anyone can look at Nick Bosa's game and say, I don't really like him. Uh, He was the second highest rated pass rusher, uh, according to the NFL Top 100, and the highest rated rookie of all time at 17. Uh, I don't know if I would technically put him above guys like Chandler Jones, even his brother Joey Bosa, who I think are, are veteran guys who I think you can plug into any system and they'll get it done. But I think a lot of it has to do with his potential and the immediate impact he had on this Niners team. Uh, NFL Network's Brian Baldinger said Bosa, Bosa could be a top 10 player in the league and could be the defensive MVP, that being on 95-7 the game. Uh, with that said, I truly believe the sky is the limit for Nick Bosa, and I, I really think he can be uh, a top defensive player in the NFL for the next decade or so. And so I want to ask you that, one, do you agree with Brian Baldinger's words saying Bosa could be a possible defensive MVP? I know it's kind of hard to ask you to maybe criticize someone else's words or, or, or go with them, but and on top of that, I want to ask you about Joey Bosa's deal. He received a massive five-year extension, $135 million, 
We know that's going to be the benchmark for Nick Bosa's contract if he keeps up with the play he's doing. And so, kind of a two-party here, Baldinger's question, and then, do you think the Niners, thinking four years ahead, are going to try to manipulate and build this roster that can accommodate Bosa's future contract, even though it's four years in the future? So I think that Baldinger is spot on here. There is no doubt in my mind that Bosa will be a top 10 player. So he was the defensive rookie of the year, and Vegas has him with the second best odds of the defensive player of the year heading into his second season. Bosa was six in the NFL in total pressures last year, but those are just total numbers. He rushed the passer 777 times. The closest, so the, the five players that were ahead of him, the closest person in snap counts was Cam Jordan, and he played over 100 more snaps than Bosa, but only had six more pressures than Bosa. So if we were like to break it down on a per-snap basis, you are not going to find a better player than Bosa. We're made, like Chandler Jones, probably. Khalil Mack, like that's where, that's the people that are in, he's already in that class of like the Vaughn Millers, the great, like the elite of the elite. So I think there's, no question that Bosa is as good as the ranking suggests, and he's only going to get better because if you remember early on in the season, he, he didn't play in the preseason, and he missed five to six sacks. So he could have just took the took the the league by storm, like literally with all those with the numbers that he put up. But as far as his brother's deal, that's just you know. So uh, I believe it was. Who is the Browns? Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett just got paid, I believe. So that was kind of going hand in hand with him. And I believe that Nick is going to just blow all these deals out of the water. I it's going to be like we don't we don't know what what those numbers will be because the new TV deals are going to come up by then. So the salary cap should be better, even with the pandemic going on right now. And Bosa is just going to blow set whatever records there are for edge rushers and a new deal. And I do think that the 49ers are going like, he's, he's probably the only person on the roster that's untouchable and they're going to pay him. They have to pay him. And it'll be interesting to see how they maneuver, how they manipulate the roster and how they kind of cut corners leading up to then. And it'll, yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch just because like this is a player you just don't let get away, and and that's not going to be in the question. The only question is really going to be how much Bosa gets. It's- this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Interesting that you say that Nick Bosa is the only untouchable player because the highest ranked 49er and someone who was in the midst of contract negotiations, you talked on this and we'll get into that shortly, but George Kittle, the seventh ranked player in the NFL, the highest ranked tight end in top 100 history, he beat out Gronkowski for that. Uh, I think this is the only ranking that I have a problem with, not because of where he places technically, but who's in front of him, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily sit well with me, even though I have no opinion in the matter. But to me, George Kittle is the most valuable non-quarterback to any team in the NFL. I think he impacts every aspect of the game and is pivotal 
to everything the Niners do on offense. I think Kittle is so great, he forced the Cardinals to draft Isaiah Simmons, and he made the Seahawks trade practically two years of their future just to stop him by getting Jamal Adams. Now I want to ask you, if you switch Michael Thomas, who's ranked ahead of him, with George Kittle and put Kittle on the Saints and Thomas on the Niners, and this is no disrespect to Michael Thomas whatsoever. He can catch any ball near him. He's one of the greatest receivers in the game right now. He's easily top five, if not number one. But I think if the roles are reversed, I think the Saints are actually a better team with George Kittle. And I, I, I truly don't think the Niners get much better with Michael Thomas. And I understand it's a very scheme-heavy uh, decision to make. You know, Kittle and the Niners are much more run-heavy. Kittle fits that scheme better. But do you think Michael Thomas should be ranked above George Kittle? And do you agree George Kittle is the most valuable non-quarterback player in the league? I do not. I think that I would take over, you know, like like Aaron Donald. I would take Aaron Donald over George Kittle. I would take probably, I would take Nick Bosa over George Kittle. I would probably take a, a, quite a few pass rushers. And, and it's just because the tight end. So as we saw, even when George Kittle was had those 1,300 yards in 2018, the 49ers, you know, they, they weren't really winning. And last year, as we saw, you know, he makes a world of difference. And there is no way in the world that, you know, Kittle isn't this dominant player. And he absolutely, absolutely deserves to be in the top eight. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. And I know PFF, PFF, I believe, also said that he had the highest war, like wins above replacement, uh, compared to everyone else in the NFL so there's a reason that he's ranked this high. And there's a reason that he's going to hold out or that not so much hold out, but that they're at an impasse right now in the contract negotiation because Kittle deserves to be paid like the best tight end of all time. Like he has been that dominant early on. There's no signs of that slowing up. So is he the most, is he the best non-quarterback? I wouldn't say that, but that's not really a slight to Kittle. That's just me valuing you know, pass rushers and, you know, other other players in that mold over Kittle because the only thing that really hurts him is that he plays tight end. And my question would be how valuable is a tight end compared to, you know, other positions? Well, let's kind of get into Kittle as a tight end compared to him somewhere else. Uh, we know he's in this you know, kind of weird bind where he's in the middle of a contract negotiation. You reported or said, and, and this is the quote on Niners Nation, uh, a little birdie told me that Kittle's deal is done, and his contract looked like an absolute steal. Uh, now we have reports, I, I'm not saying you're wrong in, in any means, but now we're seeing NFL Network's Mike Silver saying the Kittle and Niners aren't close, uh, and, and Kittle may even sit out or opt out of the season due to the disconnect here. And so maybe can, can you just give us an update as to where George Kittle is with the Niners and and is this deal close, or, or is there still a ways the two parties have to go uh, to meet in the middle and make a deal happen uh, for Kittle to be a Niner for a long time? So that's a good question. And what, what I would say is this is fluid. So at that time, I believe that there was a deal in place. And as, of, as recently as of Friday today, Mike Silver reported this, that there, they are, there's a disconnect. And what, you know, I... I've asked about this and this is, this has been going around where what we're seeing now is Kittle wants to be paid like a wide receiver and not a tight end. He just, he's not worried about the tight end market because there isn't much of a tight end market. And if Kittle were to be paid as the highest tight end, 
there'd be like 13 million a season. That's not, in his mind, that probably seems disrespectful. So while the 49ers could quote unquote reset the market by paying him the most, that still doesn't mean that Kittle is being paid as he should. So it's going to be interesting to watch this month and how, how everything unfolds. But yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty fascinated to see how everything goes. I, I believe a deal does get done and I think they're going to just work out the fine details of the contracts, but yeah, this is a fluid situation. And, and I don't, I don't mind you. And I didn't think that you were attacking me by the way. And I, I know that is, it's going to be common, but I do think that a deal does end up getting done. Yeah, and and you weren't the only person to say that, Coach Yak. I'm pretty sure Matt Barr even kind of chimed in saying, yeah, I've heard the same thing you've heard. So, uh, you know, I, I think the reason why people may push back on you is I, I, I'm pretty sure you got Niner fans pretty excited. Uh, and whenever they're let down or something doesn't go uh, this, you know, this picture-perfect way, they get a little upset. And that's understandable. He's their best player. Uh, but, but when... I kind of want to use this as an example, but when Raheem Mostert asked for a trade and, and he wanted, you know, a, I guess a $2 million raise, uh, and obviously he got that with the incentives and everything that can make him the highest paid Niners running back, I said that why didn't he just wait until after roster cuts come? The Niners can possibly save, you know, 3 to $5 million depending on who they cut, who doesn't make this team. And so I want to ask you that, it maybe does that kind of go into where the Niners and Kittle are, where they may be, you know, three to four million dollars off, and the Niners are saying, "Hey, let's wait until camp's over. We can free up some more money, uh, and, and and possibly give that to you as well, and give you the the sixteen, seventeen million dollars that you want." Yeah. I, so if they just, you would think by cutting Tevin Coleman and saving that four million dollars, a deal can get done. Like it's that it's, you would think that it's that simple, but there's this love for Tevin Coleman for whatever reason, and. I'm sure there's a lot more going on to it, and I'm sure there are incentives and, you know, how much do the 49ers want to backload it? Do the 49ers want to do this? That is going into the deal as well. But, man, there, I just – I am not – I really don't know even what to, what to believe these days. We saw the Chiefs go full force into their star players, paying them, backing up the money truck. Mahomes got $450 million. Uh, obviously, the cap hit is low in year one, but it's going to be huge – Going past that, Chris Jones got $85 million. I'm pretty sure like eight players are making up like 60% of their, their roster salary. Uh, but it seems like, and you know, you've kind of said it, and Mike Silver hit on it today, that you know, there's a chance the Niners have to pay George Kittle like a receiver. And, and, and I guess I want to ask you, do you think the Niners are going to have to make a move, uh, whether it's cutting Tevin Coleman, which I know the Niners do love. Kyle Shanahan obviously has the relationship with him, or is it... Moving guys like Tom Compton, uh, Travis Benjamin, despite the receiver depth maybe not being where it should be, uh, or somebody else on the roster, to save money to possibly, quote-unquote, I guess, kind of overpay, in a sense, for George Kittle, even if that really overpaying isn't a possibility. Yeah, they, they can make a couple cuts. So we mentioned Tevin Coleman. They can also cut, like, and there are a couple guys where, like, Mark Nazocia, like, he, they cut him, they save a million dollars, so... Just like smaller names, like we, like you wouldn't even think of, they can they can make happen and extend Kittle. But at this point, by extending him, they can just create more cap room as well. So that extension is I don't think that extending Kittle and releasing a player are mutually exclusive. And Travis Benjamin is like that was a good point you mentioned. He's his salary is just north of a million, and. Uh, 
getting rid of him would probably save that entire that entire million as well. So yeah, I foresee them doing that, but I, I don't think I don't think Benjamin's gonna make gonna make the roster. By the way, so you can you can pretty much count on that million coming back. Maybe you can shed some light on this. I think that Kittle's not gonna go anywhere, even if a deal isn't reached. I think. They're just going to franchise tag him and wait it out. That price tag is going to be cheaper. Uh, of course, Kittle can hold out and say, look, I'm just not going to play under the franchise tag. We've seen multiple players do it. Uh, we've seen players even voice their concerns or their frustrations on Twitter due to the franchise tag. We saw how the Redskins, or I guess the Washington football team now, uh, kind of ran Kirk Cousins through the ringer with the franchise tag. So I want to ask you... Is the franchise tag a legitimate option, or do you think the Niners would actually think of moving George Kittle if a deal can't be reached? That is a great question, and that is something that I would also keep an eye on as well. Obviously, you have to get there. So August 7th, I believe, is when the last day to opt out, quote-unquote, opt out is, and that's probably not going to happen, but August 12th is when the 49ers, I believe, start practice. So Kittle's either going to report and practice on his $2.2 million salary for this year, or he's going to report and not practice. And then there's going to be a cloud hanging over the team's head. I imagine they'll table it and then come to the end of the season. So no, even in the end of the season, you're not going to wait till then you're going to, you're probably going to get offers as the season goes on because teams are going to think, Hey, they're not going to pay Kittle. So that I might, I wouldn't say that Kittle gets dealt. If that was going to happen, that probably already would have happened. But I also do think that I would guess Kyle Shanahan does not view there's when I say this, Kittle's not untouchable. There's a difference between being valued and being untouchable. Like there's no doubt in my mind Kittle's one of the best players in the NFL. That does not mean he is untouchable and cannot be moved. As we saw, nobody would have expected a team to trade DeForest Buckner, but that happened. So if I were to ask you, you already kind of hit on this. If I were to ask you, when it's all said and done. Does Kittle get a contract, and for how long and what price do you think it's at? Yeah, I think Kittle ends up signing a four-year deal, and I think it's going to be – I think he's going to make probably 14 and a half, even up between 13 and a half and 14 and a half. What I can see is the deal coming out to like 13 or 13 and a half million per season, and there's going to be incentives where if Kittle has X amount of yards, X amount of touchdowns, then that deal maybe can be up to like $16 million or whatever wide receiver money that he's looking for. We've seen the Niners do incentive-based deals with Richard Sherman. We saw how great he played in the Niners. Uh, he didn't even reach the, the benchmark he was supposed to, but the Niners paid him anyways. Uh, Raheem Mostert got his new deal, and countless other guys uh, have incentive-based deals. The, the front office seems to be in good faith with their players, and I think that's a they've done a fantastic job with that. Uh, but I want to get into the other factor that you kind of mentioned shortly earlier, and that's the pandemic. Uh, we know the situation we're in, at least to a certain extent, uh, and we talked a lot about you know extending guys like George Kittle and Nick Bosa eventually in four years. Uh, the Niners have roughly 19 key free agents to a, a sign or extend following this season, depending how you look at it. Now, that number is pretty high for a team in their Super Bowl window, but adding on the pandemic, it looks a little worse. Uh, David Lombardi from The Athletic said the salary cap could drop almost $45 million next season, all the way down to an estimated $175 million. 
The Niners currently have $173 million in cap liability uh, already for the 2021 season, leaving only around $2 million to work with. Obviously, they can rework some deals, but when I look at extending or kind of bringing back 19 key players, roughly, guys like Kittle, Sherman, Trent, and K1 Williams, and Jaquiski Tart, among other guys, uh, with that in mind, do you think the Niners, like, like, what is their plan to do with the pandemic if it indeed does affect the salary cap? It is tricky because it's going to not only affect this year, but it's going to affect what, what they can do next year as well. So it'll be tricky for guys that are on the last year of their contract. So this is probably why George Kittle's struggle is going on. This is why uh, Kyle Juszczyk is going to be his his whole situation next year. And the 49ers have, I think, upwards of like 26 unrestricted free agents. So it's going to be very interesting to see who they pick. And Quan Alexander's probably gone because if they choose to release Quan Alexander next year, they can save over $13 million. So players with high salaries like that, like Tevin Coleman, like those guys are probably going to be gone. And they're going to, that'll allow the team to bring back some of the quote unquote lesser known names, but still valuable role players. But yeah, the pandemic's going to, it's going to hurt a lot of teams, but it's specifically going to hurt the teams that are, struggling or that have a lot of one year or players left on the final year of their contract. The Niners would likely have to ask guys like D Ford, you already mentioned Quan Alexander and Jimmy Garoppolo to take pay cuts, right? Those guys seem like the number one guys to take pay cuts. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I don't, that's, that's another thing. So how, if it gets to that point, how is that going to affect because Rich Sherman on the last year of his deal, how is that going to affect spending next offseason for a cornerback in the market or if a if Kyle Shanahan if the receivers don't pan out how and he wants to spend money as a receiver and a veteran receiver again how does that work so there are and there's a couple other things they can do I believe next year they can also release uh Lakin Tomlinson and save quite a bit of money so that will do some that will help I believe they can save about four million by releasing Lakin Tomlinson Uh, I believe that's if just going off my head here, I believe that that's correct. Four or five million. So there, there are ways that they can manipulate and maneuver around the cap, but they're going to have their hands full. There's no doubt about it. And they are going to have to get very creative. But Prag uh, is one of the best in the business, and this is what he gets paid to do. So uh, he's, he's going to earn his paycheck. So uh, Western Richburg is another guy that I would keep an eye on because if the 49ers cut Richburg, they can also save about a little over $8 million. So that would also, by doing this, we're talking about veterans. So like Thomason, veteran, that's your left guard. Richburg, veteran, that's your center. Alexander, veteran, that's your will linebacker. Uh, D Ford is another one. They can get out of D Ford's contract and save $16 because none of his salary is even guaranteed next year. And then, that I mean, obviously, the, the big one that we haven't talked about, but you better have a replacement, is Jimmy G. So there are a lot of questions, and I think next offseason is going to be one of the most fascinating for San Francisco. Let me ask you this before I ask you my final question that has to do with some rumors that came out today. But if, they, if the Niners can't bring back the majority of the roster due to the pandemic, do you believe, and like you've already kind of hit at Alexander, Richburg, Ford, if you had to guess, which one do you think of those top guys that are being paid the most, Ford, Alexander, Garoppolo, Richburg, Tomlinson, which one of those guys do you think is the most expendable and the most irreplaceable? Yeah, that's a good question. So what 
here's what I think is going to happen. Like, assuming that there is a full season, D Ford is going to stay healthy and going to put enormous pressure on the 49ers to bring him back. And they are going to have to think long and hard about giving Ford a new contract because, yes, he is going to make a ton of money. Yes, you can get out of his contract, as I mentioned, $16 million. But if he puts up a season at anywhere near last year, because when the 40, when Ford was on the field, the 49ers got after the quarterback at a historic rate, like 38% pressure rate when Ford was on the field. That's unheard of. That's 10% better than what they were with Ford off the field. So I do think Ford is going to be probably the trickiest if that situation arises. But as far as most replaceable, I, I think what Quan brings to the table is just you, you, can't, you can't really replace that as far as energy. I think he really helped take Fred Warner to another level just as far as confidence-wise, and that showed in Warner's game. But Dre Greenlaw is not a step below. Like, he's not that, that much worse than Alexander. I do think Quan is better. But I think as Dre Greenlaw gets more experience, so it'll be easy to move on from Alexander in that sense. I think Richburg is a lot better than people think. It's just he doesn't stay healthy. So when you don't stay healthy, it doesn't make it easy to argue for you. So Richburg's going to be tough to replace. And he is a center. And in Kyle Shannon's offense, that is significantly more important than, you know, your guards because he's making all the calls and the checks up front. So I think Richburg is probably going to be the toughest, and that's assuming that he stays healthy. And we saw what happens when Richburg isn't in in the Super Bowl. And just at the worst times, remember Seattle, the high snap. But in the Super Bowl, the 49ers had trouble picking up stunts, and that led to defenders getting their hands on blocked balls or free rushers coming up the middle, and Jimmy had to you know, flee the pocket or hold on to the ball. So I think Richburg is going to be the hardest. But, again, that doesn't matter if he's not healthy. We've seen guys like Quan Alexander and even Richburg last season uh, take minor pay cuts. And so uh, I, I do want to ask you, because of the pandemic, because players, like, this is not something that it's only a front office problem. Players understand what's going on as well. They understand the, the cap's probably going to get cut at least somewhat. Uh, could be a huge total. Like I already said, it could be a $45 million cap cut. But do you think players that are being paid big money now that maybe don't have guarantees next season like D Ford? Do you think they maybe take a one to two year deal that, you know, kind of keeps them paid well enough during the pandemic? Obviously, even a million dollars is enough money for the average person. But for an NFL player, if Ford's getting $15 million, he goes, you know what? I'll play for five or six million dollars, but I'm only going to stay for a year or two. That way I can retest the market when the cap shoots back up in a year or two. Is it a possibility that guys kind of cut their deal short for a year or two? That way they can get larger money and hit free agency again to kind of re-up their value and re-up, I guess, their pocketbook. So that's going to be based on, you know, their age. And that's going to be if they are willing to take that risk because we see it in the NBA all the time. Revis did that. Revis did that for a few years where he's just taking one-year deals and just maxing out. And then eventually, you know, you get to a team and they're going to give you a long-term deal. So if players are smart, they probably will. Like, I would not sign a deal right now. Like, if I'm Kittle, I maybe sign a one-year deal to your, or whatever whatever it is, even if it's a four-year deal, knowing that you're going to be able to sign an extension once those TV deals are up. So I would say, to answer your question, yes, but it also depends on the talent of the player, 
how much you're willing to sacrifice and how much you're willing to bet on yourself. If you're confident, you're, you know you're going to stay healthy. Like, for example, Fred Warner, that would be a person where I just, I'm holding out. I am not going to, I am not going to take anything less than my value because I am going, I know that I'm going to be the best linebacker in the NFL. When I look at the Niners roster and how it's built, the, the amount of elite talent they have, even if it's not elite, they have great depth at what seems like every position. But we know the Niners lost in the Super Bowl last season. We know how great the Ravens are, how great Seattle is, how how on the come up the Arizona Cardinals are. We know Dallas and Philadelphia. And I can go on and on and on about how good teams are, the Saints, uh, the Buccaneers now. But would I be wrong in saying, due to the current situation, despite how good other NFL teams are, that the Niners are possibly the best team in the NFL. If not, they're definitely top three in my in my eyes. But would I be wrong in saying that the pandemic is possibly the biggest adversary against the 49ers Super Bowl window at the moment? That's a good question because I... I try to poke holes. Obviously, I want to be objective as you know I'm delivering news. I don't want to be like a fanboy and say, like, yeah, they're the best. There's nothing wrong with this team. But when you try to poke holes, you, you really, really begin to nitpick on reasons why the 49ers won't win the division. The 49ers won't make a run in the playoffs. The 49ers won't return to the Super Bowl. It really comes down to the injury bug. Like That is their biggest kryptonite, it seems like. And even then... They still made it to the Super Bowl after having over 15 players go on the injured reserve last year. So I would say it's the injury bug because the COVID, the quarantine, this team seems so close as a close-knit unit and they get along so well that it's just forcing them to be together and communicate even more. And that's normal for them. So I would only the only thing that would really hold the 49ers back is injuries. And obviously, you know, if, if Debo has to miss an extended period of time. Because when Lynch spoke about that the other day, it didn't seem like he was too optimistic that we will be seeing Debo in September. And if that injury lingers, you know, it's going to force the younger guys to step up. And they're not proven. They have talent, but they're not proven. And they're going to have to make plays. I have one final question for you, Kyle. Reports surfaced today that the Niners are testing the waters on possibly bringing in Jadavian Clowney or just trying to kind of test the market and see where he's at financially. Personally, I'd rather re-sign Kittle and maybe look into a guy like Logan Ryan, who I think could add a lot of value, veteran value, uh, on top of Sherman in the secondary and kind of give them some more depth at positions that maybe they struggle with more often than the defensive line. But what are the odds Jadavian Clowney ends up in a Niners jersey, and do you believe he makes that much of a difference to propel them as the number one team in the NFL? So that is a good question. And they did reach out, or as you mentioned, so that pick six, and the pick six guy tweeted out that the 49ers kicked the tires on Jadavion Brown Clowney. And he actually DM'd me, and what he said was that it sounded like it was simply gauging interest type of thing. They just wanted to see, you know, what he was looking for. The 40, believe it or not, the 49ers could make it work. They could sign Clowney to a one-year deal below market level. And that would honestly be smart because if he leaves next year, they would get a comp pick. But what I was told is Clowney isn't a big fan of the high taxes in California, which who is? And as I mentioned, it was more of a, you know, just, hey, hi, what do you think of this number maybe? And, oh, that's not it? All right, we'll talk to you later. And other people have also brought up a good point where it could just be the 49ers 
making that noise to drive up Seattle's price. So that is that could be a whole other thing because that that seems to be what's been going on in the Jamal Adams as well. So who know, who knows honestly? But I I would I would put the chances at slim, and I would say there's a much better chance of the 49ers signing a guy who's on the roster last year, Demontre Moore, instead of Clowney. I know I keep saying final question, but this is the final one. I promise you. Do you think that this is possibly a tactic and kind of not not really a jab, but you know, kind of a hey D Ford there's someone else out there and if we can get him for a one-year deal and probably for cheaper, you know, you may be off the team next year, especially adding on the pandemic and adding on to how, how big his cap relief could be for the team. And that's a, that's a good way. And good organizations always are thinking a year ahead. So that could very well be the case as well. So I would not put that past them as well. Because as you mentioned, they're going to entertain anybody that's available. So they're always going to bring up, how can we get him? What makes the most sense for us? So if the most sense is sign Clowney, maybe backload his contract, release D4 the next year, that way Clowney's deal is all of a sudden now more affordable. That's certainly like that makes sense. You can follow Kyle Posey on Twitter at KP underscore show. He's a fantastic source for Niner news and be sure to check out his work on Niners Nation. Kyle, you were fantastic today. Loved having you on. A lot of great stuff. Uh, Good luck. Uh, on the rest of your day. Have a great weekend, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Take care, man. Anytime. Be sure to follow us on social media, Instagram at 49ers.access, Twitter at 49ers underscore access, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Kyle Posey was fantastic. A lot of great stuff today. But until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett, and stay faithful. Stay faithful.